Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host. I hope you're good. And this is your first listen to the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do make sure you subscribe. You can do it in Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review what you think as well. It's really always amazing to hear what you think and it helps other people find me. This podcast is for you if you have discovered that your route to parenthood isn't actually that straightforward. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I speak to a whole range of people, experts, as well as people sharing their stories and people working in the field. And I've become really fascinated hearing about the different technological developments that people are coming up with to empower us as the individual to find out more about our fertility ahead of having to have fertility treatment. This chat that you're going to hear today is two women who have been doing research into wearable fertility tracking devices, which when I discovered them online, I was like, what? And in the 40th anniversary of IVF, I thought it only right to put the spotlight on this type of technology that is only going to increase and it's going to become such a normal part of our world. And in 10 years time, we might all be walking around in underwear or sleepwear that enables us to know exactly where we are in our cycle. I mean, how bizarre does that sound? But it, it's a possibility from what these ladies are going to share with you. So I do hope you find it of interest. So I'm now going to welcome Rachel and Gabby to the podcast, who are going to talk about a survey that they have been working on. It's all part of their Smarty Pants Facebook page. I'll put the details in the show notes. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And we were just trying to remember how we connected um, because I love the randomness of when I find people and you'd followed me on Twitter and I'd then messaged you because I wanted to know about this survey that you had been doing. So first of all, tell me a bit about your background, Rachel. You start. What do you do day to day? Today, I'm working at a data science company and I do solution architecture there here in Chicago. And a constant theme throughout you know, the last few years after graduating from school has been an interest in women's health and public health. As I've gotten more familiar with technology and done a few you know, programming courses on my own, data science courses on my own, um, realizing the importance of applying technology to what a lot of couples and women experience in their fertility tracking process. And I'm fascinated by this because I have started talking to more companies who are using technology and the algorithms and gathering all this data to help us predict different patterns with our fertility. So it'll be really interesting to know more about what you're doing. Gabby, tell me a bit about your background. I was doing manufacturing for uh, a large um, B2B industrial manufacturing company. So uh, kind of a complete 180 from the work that we're doing here, but I was doing a lot of continuous improvement, product development, and product management there. Throughout the process, I got really into coding because I was trying to find ways to help data collection for operators on the floor and was working a lot with them. So I switched gears completely. I learned how to code and I worked for um, a digital media agency, Razorfish, for about a year and a half. And now I'm working at a meal kit delivery company managing our tech for operations. So brought those two worlds together and what that's really um, helped me with my career and, and how it's helped me with this project in particular is really understanding the product life cycle and how to manage products from inception all the way to implementation. Um, and, and on the side and kind of an, another constant theme for me as well, which is the kind of united Rachel and I is 
women's equality, women in STEM, and I've been active in a lot of those um, communities and groups in work and in the community as well. So um, that's what brought me to uh, kind of work with Rachel on a bunch of our own projects, which we can touch on later. Okay. So there's that shared interest in, in women's health and your scientific backgrounds that have led you to, as part of what you're doing, put out this survey about how we track our fertility. So I know you had a good 300 or so results. Can you tell me a bit about what you found? Yeah, so you're right. We had about 328 results come in from women through our Facebook posts, our Twitter posts, and then through our network sharing and being generous with information about how they and their partners track their fertility. So, you know, some of the key insights about the demographics of these respondents is it's mostly women. Um, Even though we didn't limit the survey to women, we were pretty confident all of the respondents were women. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of them were college educated, um, and most of them were uh, actively tracking their fertility in one way or another. And then we found that the majority were, you know, in this age range of 25 to 35 women who were, you know, considering conceiving or considering uh, using natural ways to abstain. And um, so those are kind of the two groups of women that we found re- responding to our survey and expressing needs because they either needed to, you know, figure out a way to conceive or figure out a way to abstain with their partner. And when we say survey, this wasn't a 10-question survey. There were about 30 questions. So mm-hmm. the volume of responses that we had was pretty overwhelming. And, and we know just from reading the comments and from people who don't know us at all, taking the time to, to work through this. There's a hunger and a need for better technology and better methods for uh, individuals and couples to manage their fertility. So that was kind of the overarching theme. The one kind of big thing I want to hit home that, that we really learned from this is um, the power of technology to really help us be more human. And, and we found that people don't necessarily want technology to predict everything about their bodies, but that there's actually a real opportunity to use technology to help people connect with themselves better mm-hmm. and understand their own patterns and the nuances of their own fertility. So that was really exciting for us because it's something that we had hypothesized around and we've you know spoken to other couples who are at various stages in this journey, but to get some hard data on that was really motivating for the work that we're doing. Because the whole empowerment aspect of this kind of technology means that you can be proactive if you are trying to get pregnant, especially with there being much more awareness about the failures, I suppose, around fertility treatment. I think when we first kind of started to understand it, we thought it was a guaranteed way to have a family. And I think people understand a lot more that it's that's not the case. And so the, the, the more you can do to be aware and improve your fertility health, the better. Were they the kind of thoughts and comments people were saying that they wanted they wanted to feel empowered, they wanted to be proactive about it all? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the range of how, how long people have been tracking for was quite broad. So anywhere from just starting out a couple months into 15 years, um, 28% of our respondents were tracking for one year or less, and the average was about 3.5 years. And um, a lot of the comments that we had, especially from people who had been tracking for longer periods, were that um, they felt so much more connected with their bodies. People were able to identify everything from miscarriages and ovarian cancer to just 
feel like they knew what was going on with their bodies. So that was a constant theme in a lot of these results. And were most of the people who answered trying to have their first child or were people talking about it that had had a first or a second and maybe were trying for to complete their family? Yeah, it was all across the board. So people who, like we said, were actively not trying to conceive who had kids or didn't. People who were trying to conceive who had zero children and, and up to, I think, about three or four children previously. So it really was a good mix of people who touched this from very different angles. And were there any surprises in the comments people were making? Yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises is we've cut the data in a lot of different ways to look at you know, what is challenging for people who have just started tracking versus people who have been tracking for 15 or so years. We are really interested in the fact that even though somebody may have been tracking for 15 years, they still find some of the things that a new person who's just getting started with tracking finds challenging. So some of those things, um, and you know, taking a step back, one of the goals of this survey was to understand you know, what are the pain points on a broader scale than just you know, the individuals we'd spoken to. And you know, those pain points ended up being kind of four main things, um, kind of no matter where women were in their tracking journey. The first was uh, tracking and interpreting cervical mucus. So you know, that's a key indicator in the Creighton method, which was the most popular response for the type of method one uses in tracking their fertility. And then the second was interpreting LH data. So anybody who's you know, peed on an LH test uh, can understand the ambiguity there sometimes with the results. Doctors will often recommend that women start with LH, and that's the most tried and true method for understanding your, your patterns and what your body's doing hormonally. Um, but that interpretation is really challenging for people across the board. Um, and then the, the third one is taking a basal body temperature. So if anybody's been <laughs> tracking their basal body temperature, they understand that it's quite manual. There's uh, rigidity to the process, and it's not very sexy at all. <laughs> so um, women commented that that was a big pain point for them. And then finally, you know, also related to LH, it's just you know, getting those strips in order, making sure you're taking them at the right time. So um, that was a really interesting insight and kind of surprising for us. Um, but I know we also asked a lot of questions about women's perception of their partner's participation in this tracking process. Yeah. And there were a lot of cool and surprising things there as well. For example, I think 90% of the respondents said that they needed something to help involve their partner in this process. Yeah. And that that was currently a huge gap for them. In the tracking or the being interested in what the results are? Both. One of my favorite quotes was, I need an app to help my husband remember to check in with me about all this. You have you have that all the way to a resounding need for just more information and scientifically rooted information about male fertility, about that part of the equation, and then sort of somewhere in the middle where people just need a better platform to communicate and share data with their significant other mm. in the process. And what are you planning to do with the results? What are you going to hoping to create? So for the last year, we've actually been developing sleepwear that helps passively track CBT. That's definitely confirmed out of this survey and just the work we've been doing. We've been testing it with a few couples that there's the need for better wearable technology here. But beyond that, a lot that we found in the survey points us to the need for a holistic platform. A lot of these data types are disjointed. People are sometimes using several apps or they've developed their own system and there isn't a really good way to take BVT, LH, cervical mucus, sleep, all these different data points and 
build one cohesive picture. So that's, that is our mission. That is what we're laser focused on after this survey is being able to help people better understand, you know, the, the data that they're collecting, what it's telling them and build something that is really organic and allows people to check in with themselves and doesn't just um, act as this sort of passive data collection platform that doesn't really help you grow and learn in the journey. So, And I'm assuming when you're talking about wearable items, we're talking about something for the man and the woman, are we? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I know that there are things for women. I have a sponsor on this podcast that's an ovulation monitor that's a, a, a vaginal sensor. But I've never heard of anything for a man to wear. I know that there's obviously home kits for guys to test you know, their sperm. But it'd be really interesting to, to hear more about that. Yeah. In some of your podcasts, you've even touched on the lack of research and visibility around the factors that impact male fertility. But mm. one thing we know for sure is that temperature... Um, can directly disrupt sperm production. So while that's not encompassing every single aspect that can you know, temper fertility for men, we're going to start there because we can start tracking potential behaviors that disrupt the sperm production process. And um, you know, the other part of that is stress. So building that into our digital platform and, and helping the couple through that way is where we're going to start. Sounds interesting. Really interesting. So when can we expect to hear more, see more, try more? Yeah, so where we're at right now is we are testing with three couples, our software and our our hardware, our wearable tech. And, you know, in the next six months, we hope to be out there with, um, you know, our next like 100 or so couples. So we're really looking to scale out the work we're doing and the product we've built so far. You know, we might not be like selling anything yet, but we're just hoping to get as many couples hands on this technology to just make sure it's useful because mm-hmm. uh, the worst thing to do is to build something no one wants. Yeah, of course. And and are you are you looking for couples just in the US or all over the world? So it's interesting. Our first couple we actually started testing with lived in France at the time um, and it was this summer and they were trying to conceive and there was a giant heat wave. So we learned the importance of wearable devices and weather's impact on whether someone actually uses the wearable device. Um, So we're open to testing and interviewing people around the world because this is a global challenge for couples, no matter what your nationality is. But, you know, for our immediate needs, we're focused on people in the U.S., but you know, we're open. And is there any criteria for people? Because, I mean, if people are listening and, you know, they're interested, then let's get them to get in touch with you. Do they have to be trying? Do they have to just be in a relationship? I mean, have you got any specifications? Well, I mean, I would say not even in a relationship. I mean, Rachel and I are both single women. We've been doing this, you know, to really get in the mindset of the people who are doing this to have children and to not have children. Okay. Um, so anybody who's going to be diligent in giving us feedback and using the device, we're, we're happy to work with them. And we started out with couples who are fairly regular, but what we're learning is that this issue really affects people who have, you know, irregularities, PCOS, endometriosis, a large number of the people that we surveyed had these issues um, and and some that were even more severe. So we want to make sure that this product works and is all encompassing. So that, that is sort of the next foray into this. And I encourage anyone who has kind of figured anything out for themselves who has any of those issues to reach out because it'd be really great to dive deeper into that. All right. Well, we'll put an email in the show notes for people to get in touch with you. 
And let's see if we can rally up some more testers. Wonderful. You know, we'll be posting on Facebook and stuff. As a, as a result of being totally heads down on this, we've maybe not been the most active on social media, which is why it's even more awesome that we connected with you, Natalie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, more to come on the Facebook page, and we'll be releasing those results as well on Facebook. So stay tuned. Cool. Watch this space. All right. Well, Rachel and Gabby, lovely to chat to you. Thank yeah. you, Natalie. And we'll, we'll see what we can do to get some more people involved. Wonderful. All right. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by OvuSense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, OvuSense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon. So it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now you use it at night while you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now OvuSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit OvviSense.com. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash smartypants. Go and check it out. And the email of how you can get in touch with the ladies if you'd like to put yourself forward to be involved in their trials will be there. Now, if you haven't already, do sign up to my closed Facebook group called Talk Fertility, where I've invited some of the amazing expert guests from the show to be available to answer some of your questions. So it's a bit different to some of the support groups that you might already be members of on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fertility Poddy. Thanks again for your support. And until the next time, 